So Sons and Daughters starts out with Dax and Worf making out. I want to go back in time and undo my wanting Worf and Dax to happen. Why did you think? So sorry that I, I was so so, so sorry. Insistent that you were just not because like you're this. a bitter person who hates everything. But it turns it's, out in this case you were right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it's just shut up about the goddamn wedding. The wedding, the the not being able to have sex when you want to have sex. Just everything the, is... The wharf being weird and, and, and possessive. I'm sorry you two are heterosexual. That's what life is, you know? You should have known when you were signing up for it. Have we ever talked about whether or not the Klingons would have a taboo against homosexuality? I don't know. Because I kind of feel like they'd actually be really into it. I don't know. I don't know. Like it's weird as as violent Klingon sexes exists. I don't necessarily see them as a sexualized culture that much. Like, well, no. I think but... I think just like everything else has its place, sex has its place, and so I think they 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 they. It's not like the Klingons are are spoiled for opportunities to let out some aggression and emotion. So. I don't know. I, I don't think of Klingons as having a strong sex drive all the time. Hmm. Interesting. I always got the impression that they did. But okay. Well, then I will read your fanfic. Okay. I will. I will read it and write it then for it, you. Is this why you hate Klingons because you're homophobic? Um. That might not be true. I understand. All right. Well. Um. I guess we should talk about. The, the elephant in the room, of course, which is that Alexander is back. Let me ask a very, very, very stupid question. Uh, I think I know what the question is, but... The, 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 then you can answer it for me. Is it the same actor playing <laughs> Alexander? No. Okay, I didn't think so. He's, like, significantly older. Yeah, I know, but, like, it was a few years. It actually wasn't that long. I don't Okay, so here, okay, let's track this because this has always been a little confusing to me. Yeah. Alexander's really old in this episode. He is, he, if he was supposed to be a very young teenager, he's in his early 20s at this point. Yeah, so the reason why they cast an actor that was not a teenager, this actor was not a teenager, uh, is because they did not want to deal with. You know, you know, as you know, maybe you don't yeah. know. I don't know. Uh, California has very strict child labor laws surrounding acting, so child actors can only be on the set for a few hours a day. They have to have a tutor on set. You know, there's all these types of things, right? And so that, and it, it includes the entire time that they're on set, not just the time that they're actually the cameras are rolling. So having a yeah. child actor play a Klingon with that extensive makeup mm. that takes two to three hours to put on and, and an hour to take off means that they only have, you know, like three or four hours a day of shooting time. And especially if it's a child actor who's not the best, uh, you know, and can't necessarily do things in the one take, you know. Right. Which also, frankly, probably is a reason why they didn't have Alexander on TNG Mm. very often. Yes. Because they probably just didn't want to deal with it unless it was absolutely necessary. So they went around that Iris Stephen Bear and the casting crew of DS9 made the decision when they when they were going to bring Alexander back in this episode that they were going to to essentially age him up a bit. And especially the way that the plot makes it seem that it's been a very long time since they've seen each other. And I think that that's essentially correct. Yeah. I mean, we're looking at this being the fall of 1997, right? Alexander left the ship, left the Enterprise, in the sixth season of TNG, I believe. Okay. I don't think he was on the ship in the seventh season, although maybe he was. But either way, either way, the show is kind of cheating it a little bit because it hasn't been quite as long as they said. They said it's been five years. Mm-hmm. hasn't quite been five years. I mean, you're looking at a season of the show being about a year. So TNG went off the air at this point, like three and a half years ago for being generous. So it is a little bit of a stretch yeah. to say it's been five years. I don't remember exactly when Alexander left the Enterprise, but for the sake of argument, let's say it was be- beginning of seventh season. So, okay, it's fine to round it up to five years. It's a, and, and it's a television all, show. And frankly, with the way that thematically I liked it enough that it's fine if it's not strictly following the timeline. Yeah, and I guess, well, I guess that's my question for you. And I, I kind of, I mean, I have a, my own opinion about this, but... Does Alexander being so significantly older than the last time we saw him? Because, you know, let's 
be clear yeah. about the fact too that Brian Bonsalt, the actor who played Alexander, was a very young actor. I mean, yeah. not perhaps chronologically in age. I mean, I think he was supposed. I think the actor was like ten or something. Mm-hmm. But he always seemed very, very young. And does it make sense? Does it work that Alexander is so much older in this episode? Well, I got to be honest, it didn't bother me until right See, now. See, because it bothers me a lot. No, but I don't really care about continuity in that same exact way. Yeah, I don't know. I guess I just... It's I guess those, at one point we needed to... Like, I, think I, didn't, the actual, I think the actual episode itself is good, and I think that it, it needed to be dealt with. And I guess but, I would rather... See, I have some... I find this a very bittersweet episode in a lot of ways, solely because... Alexander finally gets his father's approval, and the only way he's able to do that is by finally becoming a warrior as his father has always wanted him to be. Uh, he almost ex- Worf almost explicitly says in this episode uh, to Martok, uh, he wasn't following the warrior's path. So you know, and and basically because he wasn't following in his father's footsteps, Worf had no interest in him. And it's very sad that this episode ends with. Alexander not able to get his father to love him on his own terms, but on his father's terms. Well, yeah. And yeah, I mean, I'm glad you said that. Cause I think that, that the, I, I, the, I, the subtext of this episode is extremely depressing. Yeah. And I, I, I feel like because this is DS nine, that's not incidental. Oh, I don't think it's incidental either. I think it's, it's, it's most likely the pop, the, the, the point. point of it, but I, I do want to, I mean, I don't want to keep harping on the point that Alexander is so much older than he used to be, but I don't is, want it to, I, but I just don't, I didn't, I w- well, it, it, if, it, it bothers me only in as much as it, it doesn't really feel like Alexander's anger has been earned because yes, if Alexander, I mean, because part of it is like the time that has gone by, you know, you have to look at it and you have to say, okay. Klingon children just grow up faster. Yeah. Okay, fine, whatever. They have a delayed puberty, was, and then in one year it all happens. Because I think he was supposed to be born, like, in the first season of TNG or something. Mm-hmm. So it's only been, like, nine years. Okay, fine. Chil- Klingon children just age that mm. fast, and whatever. It's it's okay. Does it make sense? Well, it doesn't have to make sense. But but really, thematically, for me and, and for the character, you know, essentially... We see Alexander the last time on TNG as a fairly small child. Yeah. As a child who did not have much interest in his father's, you know, trying to make him a warrior. His own interests. He had his own interests. He had his own beliefs. And essentially his father sent him away to live with his parents. And we never hear from him again. Like, he's never mentioned. Yeah. There have been opportunities for Worf to mention that he has a son. And they haven't been, and the only few times that they've mentioned, it's like O'Brien mentioned him a couple times, you know, he had that, he he called Worf out on not paying attention to his son at one point. Yeah, he did. That is true. And I think that's the only time that that DS9 has acknowledged outright that that Worf uh, had a son, that Alexander Other than his first episode, I think. I thought it was in DS9 that he mentions that he's back with uh, his parents, Oh yeah, you might be right. Yeah. I, but it, it was a very, again, a very brief thing. It wasn't made a big part of the episode, and that was just kind of to answer the question and move on. Um, I mean, partially, I'm glad they aged him up because I don't want to have to deal with the 15 year old Alexander's storyline. I just frankly found the 20 year old Alexander's storyline more interesting. But- well, and to be clear, I don't necessarily know that we can say that alexander is not 15 yeah i mean it's true he is supposed to be much younger than he is implied to be a fresh-faced new recruit i don't think that he is a fully grown adult let's put it that that way but yeah i just you know the the, we i mean we were you know talking about how wharf is a shitty parent wharf is a shitty parent alexander does not deserve any of this you know wharf is just he's not good at this and I guess, I don't know, like, were you expecting Deep Space Nine to deal with it in such a straightforward fashion? Because it does seem a little, I mean, it's 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 not exactly a fun episode to watch. No, and this is a very candid I mean, episode in a lot of ways. I think one of the most telling moments and one of the smartest moments is when 
Martok is talking to him, and he basically says, I made you, we've worked together for a while, we were in prison together, you know, I made you part of my house, and you never mentioned you had a son? Like, if anybody needs to know Worf's history, you know, if there if there's anybody on the show for whom something as important as a family relationship needs to be disclosed to, it's Martok. Yeah. Martok might have wanted Alexander in his house, you know, even not as a warrior. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think that Mar- Martok is obviously the, um, I think, the audience surrogate in this episode in a way because, I, I, you know, I've said this before in the past, I don't know how many people watching Deep Space Nine on its initial run had not watched The Next Generation. Mm-hmm. I would imagine the number was extremely small. So... Most likely 95% of the audience knew, unless they were like flipping around the dial on a Saturday afternoon and just happened to turn this on for the first time ever, uh, 95% of the audience that was watching this knew that Worf had a son, knew about the existence of Alexander. But Martok coming across, you know, what it really comes down to is, is the show kind of had this almost like Stockholm syndrome about Alexander and that like whatever Worf was doing just seemed normal because Worf is a main character on the show. Yeah. And Martok coming in as a secondary character, but as a character, I think who has quickly become established as, cause let's not forget Martok has not been around that long. No, he's really only been around for like half a season. He's such a distinct distinct and dramatic presence and especially the ways that he's gone and frankly he's a just really badass and cool character so yeah he is i've noticed him every episode he's been in and but i mean well essentially what it comes down to is that you know martok is able to wipe away and, and kind of clear out the cobwebs of oh wait a second this is really fucked up yeah i mean i think he 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 almost accuses Worf of hiding it, not even just not mentioning it. Like almost as if Worf is deliberately not talking about his son. Yeah. During context that it could have, you know, he could have brought it up just you know casually. You know, Worf never talks about his son at all. And again, if and I think this is this is also a thing where War. Worf's entire arc is he really Klingon? Are the Klingons really Klingon? Who's the Klingonist? And so we, Martok's Klingon credibility is impeccable. We in no way can question that whatever Martok says is probably the Klingon way of things. And it, everybody, every Klingon talks about how important family is, including Worf. Martok is the one who's saying, uh, you're that's bullshit because you're you, you supposedly have family and you're not taking that into consideration. You know, you, this is something that should have been dealt with. Yeah, yeah. Well, Worf, in a strange way, has always had a very um, I, Worf, I think, doesn't want to deal with the realities of life in a fundamental way. Yeah. You know, I think that he has idealized versions of what children should be like. I think he has idealized versions of what parents should act like, what friends should act like, what Klingon should act like, what Klingon should act like, what wives should act like. Yeah. And so, you know, maybe it's instructive for us to sort of like parse this out on a timeline because what you essentially have is Worf having a relationship with this half Klingon woman, Kaylair. She gets pregnant. Alexander is born. She doesn't tell Worf, so he doesn't know about Alexander. Yeah, because she knows immediately he's going to say, we need to get married, which she doesn't want to do. Funny enough, if Worf had probably been a little less hardline about the marriage, maybe she would have introduced him to him, Alexander, to him early. Look, I'm going to take primary custody, but we'd love to be able to visit when you're in town. And I mean, to be clear, Worf did did step up when Kaylar was was, was murdered. You know, I mean, he, he did... Uh, 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 take take custody of, of Alexander and, and try and raise him. I mean, I think that what it really comes but down to is But didn't he that, also give it to his parents for a while too then? Because um, I, I very specifically remember an episode where Ma Worf comes up and she says, we're too old to take care of a Klingon kid. You need to take care of him. I think so, yeah. So yeah. I I remember him, him giving to him giving Alexander to them in Deep Space Nine is the second time he's given the, to him, and now they're even older. And yes, maybe Alexander's a little older and a little less chaotic, sure, but... Well, that was really what it comes down to. I think you're right, is that I had forgotten about that, is that the first time this happened, he did, like, yeah. pawn his 
kid off on his parents again. They come back and say, no, we can't take care of him and you have to take him. And he then only he, stepped up when he had no other options. Then he does it again, you know, and now Alexander comes back. And of course, Alexander is going to be upset. You know, and I don't want to make this all about Worf. I think that we do need to deal with Alexander as a real character now because he is a real character now. Um, you know, we never really dealt with him on the level of a real character before because he was you yeah. know, supposed to be like an eight year old kid. Well, the show didn't. But, I mean, and the show didn't. The show took Worf's side on that. Like, who is this person? He's annoying. He doesn't really do anything. He's not interesting. What's the point? Deep Space Nine, which explicitly is based on taking non-Federation viewpoints and the viewpoints of other species and the viewpoints of other people, looks at Alexander and says, wait, this is somebody who has his own ideas about what the fuck happened to them. I mean, one of the things I think is also very telling is that Worf says that Alexander was on the Enterprise for, quote, a short time. He was on the Enterprise for years. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, he was on the Enterprise for like three years. Yeah, he was it, was, it wasn't just like a six-month thing or he visited a few times. Like, Well, and I guess that's what it really comes down to for me is like, you know, Worf in general. I mean, I'll be clear. I'll be frank. I don't like him very much. I think he's an interesting character. Yeah. I like the flavor that he lends to the show. I like the way that they're subtly changing his character in interesting he's, ways in ds9 he's a great he's a well-written character he's a very well acted character like i don't all think of, he's a very nice person i wouldn't want to be friends with Worf. yeah because war this is becoming clear to me in this in this rewatch of ds9 especially is that Worf is the type of person that wants everyone in his life to conform to the idea yeah. that he has in his head of them and if they don't, he has no use for you. And a lot of them come from, especially when he's talking about other Klingons, he wants people to act according to an imaginary construction of Klingon behavior that just exists in Worf's he's mind. He's never lived on Kronos. Yeah. He's never lived on a Klingon colony, to my knowledge. You know, he has no... He gets disappointed at other Klingons for doing Klingon wrong when he doesn't think that maybe he's mistaken or that there are multiple ways to be Klingon. Well, right. I mean, it's it's essentially as if, you know, like a, you know, second generation He's like Italian Larry David, basically. American is like going to Italy <laughs> and being like, you're making everything wrong. And yeah. like, um, this is, what are you talking about? No, like I think about Curb Your Enthusiasm and how... The character always has these, you know, people have to act a certain way and, you know, he's acting his according to his own thing and then everybody else is wrong if they yeah, get upset yeah. with that and, you know. Now I want to see Michael Dorn on the new season of Curb Your Enthusiasm. Is there still? I think so. I think there's supposed to be a new one. I don't wow. know. At some point. I don't <laughs> know. I thought I read something about that. Uh, yeah. Apply no. your enthusiasm. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. Thank you. That's a real laugh, actually. Aw. No, I I agree with you, and I think that that if you track that with kind of the reveal and last you know last uh, season's let he who is without sin, you know that that Worf, sorry, my dog is snoring. <laughs> that Worf is essentially you know almost murdered a child or did murder a child I think accidentally on the soccer field you remember oh yeah this at yeah, all? yeah 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 when okay. he was a kid yeah I was like this is kind of a big thing please remember it I didn't just make this up he did get killed right the kid died well when you say murder implies like <laughs> you know he stabbed a kid to death like no he was they were playing like <laughs> Klingon's first bat left <laughs> it, it was like they were playing football or something and when you have a hulking Klingon teenager crashing into a small earth child you know you're gonna one's gonna be victorious the other's gonna be a lump of red paste and right. that was what happened so essentially you know let's say Worf is a damaged person you know Worf was uh uh you know the the one of the only survivors of the horrible massacre yeah. you know his parents were killed he was taken in by humans for some reason that has never really been satisfactorily explained you know he had to deal with that he had to deal with being the only klingon on the planet he accidentally caused the death of another kid he has to be controlled he has to have rules for himself he probably didn't have many and friends especially after that he doesn't have any yeah. friends now but no yeah like and that's the thing is like you know Worf is a character that has had to construct rules for the way that he wants to live and he thinks that everyone else should have those rules as well and if you don't and he has no has no time for yeah. you essentially and 
while adults can choose that or not, right? I mean, we could say a lot of things about Dax. Um, independent is certainly one of them. She is she is an independent person. She's able to make her own decisions. She is making a decision yeah. to be with Worf, even though he is kind of horrible. That um, Well, I think she doesn't take the horrible parts of him very seriously, and so to a degree they don't affect her. She well, yeah, because I don't think that I don't that, think that's going to be a good relationship in the, in the no, long it's, run. No, but. it's not, and also I think that that's why Lehi, who is without sin, bothered me so much. Is that that was the show essentially making Dax care about that, and she wouldn't care about yeah. that. But we don't have to revisit that episode. If you want to find out what we thought about that, go back and listen to it. But essentially, yeah, I think that that where it really comes clear is that with with the character of Alexander, you know, he has always been like that. But Alexander's a child. Alexander has no say in this. Worf essentially coming into Alexander's life and, you know, essentially telling him, you need to be exactly the way that I want you to be or I have no use for you. As if Alexander was an adult that that and wasn't related to him. Okay, well, Worf's an asshole. I don't want anything to do with him. Alexander was a kid. Yeah. That's what makes it terrible. I mean, and so, yeah, this is another example of Alexander trying to make his proud father proud of him. Well, I haven't even gotten well, to this episode yet. Yeah, that's yet. true. I mean, like, that. There's, I was about to get there is that now it's Alexander showing up on the ship and Alexander is, I mean. So one, one, thing, one thing I didn't quite catch in this episode did Alexander specifically arrange things to get onto his father's ship, or I don't was think it that, just a coincidence? I don't think that the show makes it clear either way. Because mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, a kid, uh, uh, let's say he's 17, 18, you know, a, a kid who doesn't even come from a house is using his own last name, probably doesn't have much influence to choose his own posting, like he's going to go wherever, and maybe it is just a coincidence, but... I mean, we, it doesn't really matter yeah. either way, I don't think, at least for well, this episode. to but, a little degree it does because if, if Alexander was expecting to get onto his father's ship, then okay, he's doing this specifically for that attention or to – you know, if he doesn't expect that he's going to be with with his father and – I think it brings things to a head a little more quickly yeah. than if Alexander had just ended up on a random Klingon ship. True. But, but essentially, either way – you know, we we I, you know we we don't know enough about Alexander in this episode as a person to really say whether or not he's a damaged person or anything. Yeah, like, but he seems very angry. He seems like he has. I mean, as you would be. I mean, his father essentially had wanted nothing to do with him. And you know, I think you're right when it comes down to the end of the episode, and Alexander has become convinced that he wants his father's attention and love more than he wants to stay true to who he is. That. That's a really sad message. Yeah. Like, I wanted him to follow his conversation with General Martok, where basically Martok says, look, you're not a warrior, you know. And we believe Martok's insight on that. And I wanted him to walk away from that and say, like, I'm never going to get dad's approval. Like, that's just not happening for me. Yeah, it's weird because it almost seems like the show... The only way that I think this episode could be better is if the this episode was written in such a way that Worf came to terms with the fact that he was kind of a shitty father. Yeah, and he doesn't. Have, what is what, what? What change does Worf have to make in this? Worf doesn't make, have to make any changes. He suddenly is like, I was right all along to do this because Alexander wants to be a warrior now, and I can love him. Also, haven't we a, seen future Alexander? Well, yeah, but didn't future Alexander fight in the Dominion War? So we know what future Alexander's going to come through this war being like. No, future Alexander didn't fight in the Dominion War. But wouldn't the Mid Dominion War would have happened in the future? Who knows? Mm. The future is immu- the future is mutable. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Let, let's yeah, forget I that know, episode I know. happened. Uh, I, but, I have tried for a very long time to forget that episode happened. But essentially, that I think that's what is really sort of, I guess, galling about this episode is that. Mm-hmm. I mean, frankly, I don't care about Alexander as a character. Like, no, I don't think he's very interesting. He doesn't have a characterization, really. This episode goes further than any episode has gone before to give Alexander a characterization. But essentially, he's only interesting in as much as he does or says something that is going to affect Worf. And this episode doesn't really do or say anything to affect Worf. Yeah. It's it's kind of a validation of Worf's parenting. Now... 
the one consolation, because this is DS9, it is possible that they're setting something up later and we will see Alexander again. But as an episode in itself, no, I it was... This was an opportunity for Worf to change. Anytime someone's dad has come onto the station and they've had... I mean, cross-reference this with that early TNG episode where Riker's father visits. And, you know, we never see... The factor, yeah. We never see him again, sure. But, you know, it's one where the father realizes that, you know, he... That, that, that typical story. The father realizes that he should have been there for his son. The son realizes that his father is a fallible person, and the two of them begin. That's similar to what Odo and Dr. What's-His-Name's story have been. Well, I guess I guess partly that's that's why it's so aggravating, because I think that one of the things that, that DS9... You know, and I'm kind of coming down a little hard on this episode. I think it's a good episode. Mm. I just, you know, it, it bothers me that Worf is such a terrible father. And, and I'm know, not sure if... And that the, the episode kind of doesn't... I'm sh- not sure the episode quite realizes what it has. It, it, it leaves... It wants us to end feeling like, aw... Uh, you know, we have three, you know, now we have a new member of the House of Martok. And, right. you know, Worf's finally got his son back and the two of them are actually going to have a relationship now. Isn't that nice when that's not the lesson we got from it? And which, which especially considering the subplot of this episode, which is all about Kira Zial and Gold yeah. Kot, and Zial essentially making kind of the same choice that Alexander is making, but... I think that storyline makes it much more clear that A, Zial is doing this um, because she is still able to do what she wants to do, and B, that it's not necessarily the best choice. And, you know, it's it's also not her first choice, which she's, she's trying the entire episode to... Have Kira and Goldukat be friends. I think she, because she does, you know, Goldukat is her father, and Kira is, if not her mother, then the cool aunt. And she does want the two of them to be able to be on the same side because, from Zial's point of view at least, the two of them do love and care about her, and she loves and cares about both of them. So the three of them should be able to go to this, you know, go to a party together and have dinner together. And and not only that, but Zial doesn't doesn't know or have any experience of Golducat as Golducat. Yeah, and no matter and Kira number one doesn't want to completely tell her everything because you know. She's not going to tell – she's not going to trash her father to Zial, but she has made it clear that this is a – you know, he's not the nicest person. Gold Dukat? Yeah. That's an understatement. <laughs> um, I mean they, they leave it with her almost not making an active choice. I mean Kira very much says there is no choice. He's your father and, you know, she just kind of leaves. Yes, Zial doesn't chase her back, but – I mean, I kind of wish that this episode ended with Alexander and Zial somehow getting on a runabout together and just like yeah. going to Ryza because seriously, they both fucking need it. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it's one of those things you look at it and you say, and he's you know he's he's not fully Klingon or human either. He's 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 mixed species. He is, yeah. No, I think you look at it and you you know let's not forget the origin of Zial was Gul Dukat was going to this planet to kill her. Yeah. Then um, last season, yeah. he left her on Deep Space Nine essentially to die. I have totally, like, lost any... I, I am finally at a point where I don't believe a goddamn word out of Golducat's mouth. Well, no, of course not. But, like, Zial is, yeah. has concrete evidence that her father has tried actively tried to murder her once and, like, passively tried to murder her a second time. Mm-hmm. Um, then she comes back to the station because she is so profoundly alone on Bajor yeah. that the better option is to go spend time with her psychopathic mass murdering father. Yeah. Who was also being extremely sexually aggressively creepy to Kira. I mean, that's the other thing. Like she has and she knows what her father is doing to Kira, who she cares about. So, you know, the, right. it, it doesn't even need to be about her. It doesn't need to be about the numbers of people that Golducat is affecting, it's very personally incarnated in somebody that she, you know, looks up to and loves. Yeah. Well, and I think that's really what it comes down to, though, is that the, the Zial and Kira story, it, it seems to me that the show had a better understanding of exactly what kind of compromises they were all making and the kind of shitty choices and the kind mm-hmm. of shitty people that, that you know, Golducat essentially yeah. is. But 
at the same time, it it the 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 TNG origins of Alexander and Worf yeah, kind yeah. of muddy that a little bit, and they have to sort of treat it as more of a heartwarming. Oh, look at that, Alexander and Worf are finally finding something to bond over moment, and. I, I know. Think, I, I think essentially this is a very dark story about parents who are ultimately like just just essentially failing their children, and, and the children just want to be with the parents, and you know almost can't recognize that because I think yeah, because I think really what it comes down to is that the Worf and Alexander story needed a Kira character in it. Yeah. You know, because Kira is the one who keeps putting the brakes on Zial and keeps, you know, essentially, I think, you know, she does say that, in, you know, when, when Gold Dukat gives her the dress. And, oh, and, I love that Oh, yeah. It's, yeah. And then he gives it right off to Zial. <laughs> are they the same size? Sure. Why not? <laughs> All women are the same size. I don't know. Um, that... You know, essentially, Kira is being very careful to make sure that Zial understands that she is not trying to keep her from her yeah. father. But at the same time, she's also being clear that that she can't have a relationship with Zial because yeah. Gold Dukat is such a bad guy. And, of course, Worf is not as much of a bad guy no. as Gold Dukat is by any stretch of the imagination. No. But interpersonally, at least, Worf is kind of a terrible person. And Martok, I guess, is the character that comes closest to that. But Martok also doesn't have the history or mm-hmm. the knowledge to know how badly war fucked up as a parent i mean maybe this is an episode where dax being on the klingon ship would have been a different person for alexander to talk to as Frank- i wish i wish they had found a way for like troy to show up or something oh man <laughs> well, you know and, 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 and troy is someone that he just fucked off and left too apparently like that is a thing that he does do we know why Troy and Worf broke up besides the obvious? I mean, would you want to date no, Worf for more but, than two minutes? No, but I mean, like, I, 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 is there like a book where it's treated or something? I don't think so. Maybe mm. there is. I don't know. Yeah, I guess, I guess that's really what it comes down to, though, is at the end of the day, this, ep- this episode doesn't really sell yeah. the fact that it kind of under, I think it underplays itself. It goes a little, it goes very close to, saying that these characters are irredeemable or saying these characters have done really shitty things and doesn't quite get there. Um, which I guess is probably about as much as we could get, but mm. it still does seem a little disappointed for to, disappointing to me. Well, that's okay. Worf is a little disappointed in Alexander all the time. I what? get the... F- yeah, he... he- it's a sad ending for him because I think he does like forgetting about Alexander and now he has to remember him now. Yeah, yeah. But it's probably <laughs> Martok is going to ask every so often, how the hell is Alexander doing? And Worf is going to have to have an answer. He might be excited now because Alexander is now a warrior. But he still couldn't, like, do the Batleth twirl. Well, no, of course not. That's really hard. How did he get onto a ship without, like, basic combat ability? Do you think that the Klingons really care? I think that they go through a boot camp, and I mean, if they, if you don't do well in the boot camp, you don't get on goddamn General Martok's ship, of all places. It's one of those things, a TV thing, you just gotta go with it sometimes. I love TV. Well, also, I mean, let's not forget that the war has been going on for three months. That's and true. It's not going very well, so they might not be uh, yeah. too choosy at this mm. point. Um, I guess the last thing to talk about before we uh, move on to the next episode is um, Jake wants to join the resistance, so that's cool. Yeah, I don't know what that means. But well, we do know a little bit about what it means in the next episode. Well, we do. Well, yeah. let's, let's talk about behind the lines then. Yeah, where Jake's actually in resistance meetings. Yes, he is. <laughs> and also, I will say, as Jake has become a young man, his clothes have become much less loud. Yeah, and he's become much more handsome. That is true as well. Yeah, I like the I like the opening of this episode quite a bit. It's um this was directed by LeVar Burton. Okay. I believe. I believe this is the episode that was directed by LeVar Burton. And I like the I mean, I love the writing of it in the beginning where Damar comes in and you don't exactly hear what's going on, but you hear Rom of all people <laughs> narrating it. And it's 
and Kira in full on like resistance mode. Like, Kira in full on resistance mode. We've never seen her do the resistance. You know, we've seen little uh, that one flashback episode where she was in. We've seen little flashes of her in the Shakar, but now she's she's back in the game. <laughs> we see exactly how good she is yeah. at this. We see exactly how ill-equipped the Cardassians are to deal with her. And, you know, the question, of course, is, are they really in the dark about this? But it seems like they are. Well, so, you know, we've got, they figure out that there is the weakness to exploit, which is that they realize that the Jem'Hadar and the Cardassians don't really get along. They don't really agree with each other. They they have bigger problems. They're taking each other's position in a way. I mean, I you know, both of them feel that they should be on. You know, the, the Cardassians feel they should be leading the uh, Jem'Hadar. The Jem'Hadar certainly they've been they've been the soldiers forever. You know, and who are these Cardassians? They're not even a real. You know, they don't even have a place in this society. You know, they're a puppet government right, right. now, and. It's so easy to exploit these tensions between them. All they do is steal a data pad, read a speech, and then, you know, place it where someone else is going to find it. And the rest I mean, does to be itself. clear, it's a pretty incendiary plan. Oh, yes. No, it's, it's, and it's not, we're going to buy the Gem Hadar ice cream, you know? No, but at the same time, it, it, they are very, this, this lack of Ketracel White is about to be an extraordinary problem. Yeah. And, Obviously, a Cardassian is going to see it as an opportunity to get rid of the Jem'Hadar altogether, but at the same time, they do need to come up with a solution to the Jem'Hadar white problem. Well, that's right. Yeah, I agree with you. But I, I think may it, have come up with a better phrase for that. The Jem'Hadar white problem? <laughs> it's fine. It's, it's, they're, they're all racists. Yes. No, I, I, I agree with you, but I think that, yeah, you're right. It does come down to the fact that the resistance has very, very wily, mm-hmm. uh, uh, wisely pointed out and wisely discovered that the the real key here is that the Cardassians and the and the um, Dominion are perhaps not as happy together as we would have thought. They need um, to, yeah. It, it, it would be the resistance' best thing to happen if is if a civil war broke out, sure, the, or if the Cardassians and the Jem'Hadar started fighting. Yeah, that's what they want to instigate. That's what they want to instigate. I think that they're doing a good job of it, at least on yeah. a small scale. Of course, I mean they do have a brawl in Quarks, and how brutal was that, by the way? I mean, like yeah. Jem'Hadar picks up that Cardassian, and just breaks his back. I mean, mm-hmm. that's stuff that we haven't really seen before. So I think the the fight choreography is definitely getting a little grittier. Let's yes. say, um, but also that you know it really comes down to the fact that. I don't think that the Dominion, the Dominion was very prepared for starting the war, and maybe the Dominion is not very prepared for continuing the war. Well, they didn't expect that it would be mined. I mean, they they by the time that the thing was mined, you know, they the the Dominion essentially figured out that they could get reinforcements at any time on there in the Gamma Quadrant. We're going to assume that resources are as unlimited as they can be they have the exact amount of unlimited resources as the federation do but you know frankly maybe more numbers because the 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 war is going badly and they don't even have their reinforcement well i think yeah i well i would kind of agree with you but i also i also kind of disagree with you because i think that one of the things that that these episodes so far have been making clear is that Starfleet is thinking strategically and the Dominion mm. is thinking tactically. Yeah. Like Starfleet has has mined the wormhole to stop them from getting reinforcements. Starfleet has destroyed one of their major shipbuilding facilities. Starfleet has destroyed uh, their Ketracel White facility in the Alpha Quadrant. And now in this episode, Dax takes the Defiant on a mission to destroy this this uh, subspace spying thing. And these are four missions that we've seen just done in, you know, and most of them by the same people. Like, multiply that by... And yet, we're, what is exactly does the wars going badly mean? It, it sounds to me like they're just losing battles. Yeah. Like, the actual ship battles are not going well. Okay. Starfleet is just losing a ton of ships. But they sneak into a bombing run and get out. They do fine. Right. Okay. But all of the sort of subterfuge and the larger questions of strategy, Starfleet and the Federation seem to be doing a pretty good job. Yeah. You know, it doesn't seem like the Dominion is doing this to them. The Dominion, the Dominion side of the war is going well because they're able to destroy a bunch of ships. Well, but... I think the Dominion's strategy at this point is 
unmine the wormhole and then we're just going to swarm. Well, that's, yeah, that's what it comes down to. And I think that's the question I have for you is that, you know, the Dominion has portrayed over the past like three years, ever since the, um, you know, discovery of, of, of the Jem'Hadar in the, at the end of the second season, you know, has always seemed to me to be the Dominion is much more about brute force and uh, volume Dominion, than, it's, you know, it's in the name. Than, than really a thought process. You know, and especially in this episode where um, the the female changeling who makes an appearance, and we will definitely talk about that, <laughs> but, you know, she is essentially, she shows no interest in the war plan. Yeah, doesn't she? she we just leave that up to the Vorta. Like, as long as they win and they know they're going to win. Right. And I think that it is something that you have to look at and say, um, this isn't really something that the Dominion has come across before. Hmm. You know, the Federation is a multi-planetary you know galactic federation of different species that we haven't seen anything like that in the gamma quadrant that isn't the dominion the the, the dominion and the dominion has been around for so long in the alpha quadrant in the gamma quadrant everyone knows who the dominion are on the alpha quadrant they're the new kid on the block so right and so it seems to me that the dominion is really focusing on its traditional you know winning strategy of Hey, we got the Jem'Hadar. We got a bunch of ships. We're just going to fucking throw it mm-hmm. at them and kill them. And that's not working for them. Well, it is working for them, and it's not working for them. So as the Federation and Starfleet sort of chip away at their advantages in the Alpha Quadrant, you know, where where is that going to go? Yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, the war is, is you know, I don't think you, the war is not going to be over next week or no. anything. But it is... The show is not going to build this up for three seasons, only to end it in, you know, eight episodes. <laughs> but it, it, it is a question, though, that, that you know, how is this going in this whole Cardassian Dominion thing? Um, it is kind of a, a way for the, the resistance to kind of needle at them. But is that really where they should be focused? I don't know. Yeah. Well, I mean, if I... I mean, I'm not a general, I'm not a tactical, I'm not a strategy person, but I mean, I, if the minefield were the kind of thing that they could have disabled within a few days as they initially did, and then, you know, every other Jem'Hadar, and then we resupply everybody with Ketracel White, and then we're all on our, you know, best, and then, you know, we just attack planets until somebody surrenders. I mean, that's, that was the... I believe what the show has suggested as far as sheer numbers go, if the minefield is taken out, you know, all, I mean, all, every we're given the impression that every ship of the every single ship in the Dominion fleet is parked outside the wormhole waiting to waiting to go. Uh, so, yeah, they and I mean, the Federation's plan is kind of to survive and take out as many targets while keeping that minefield up. Well, yeah, I agree with you, and I think that it does seem like, you know, and especially with Cisco's promotion in this episode to some sort of tactical, yeah. you know, uh, a person. Uh, can you tell we've never been in the military? Well, uh, tactical he's, 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 he's called an adjutant, and he's basically seems to be the... It's called a what now? Adjutant. Uh, God bless you. Thank you. Uh, it, knowing French, it uh, adjuté means to add, so... Uh, like an attache or something oh, like so that. Oh, so he's like a calculator. Exactly. They should have Bashir do that. He's well, so good at he math. is the human calculator. No, he's he's the admiral's assistant at this point, and it's also implied that this is going to be a position that will get him into a, any prominent position he wants. If he wants to hang out, if Cisco Sis- also get him into the best parties. Well, that's true. Cisco is being now fast tracked for the political arm of being an admiral in Starfleet as much as he wants to be. And he doesn't seem to want to be. No, no. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of the other thing of the episode too, is this whole personal well, story of Cisco chomping at the bit to get back out there. But I, I, you know, I do want to talk about that. And I also want to talk about the female changeling, but, but maybe to wrap up the this whole, you know, the big questions of, of the dominion the and how they're operating is that, you know, at least in the early stages of the war, you know, the war is not going well for the Federation, but the war is also still in the early stages. I mean, you mentioned like they're not, you know, bombing planets and stuff. You know, we don't hear any sort of like the Dominion is bombing planets, the Dominion is no. invading planets. You know, the Dominion is not like sending an invasion fleet to to Andor or something, right? And so that's not happening yet. Um, the Federation is, and and Starfleet is able to at least keep them at bay a little bit. And Starfleet is also able to have these these strategic these strategic wins, really. So. 
it's not probably not going as well as they think. But yeah, the Federation doesn't seem like an organization which likes any losses. So, yes. you know, getting any amount of casualties probably feels like losses to the Federation. And also, like, the Dominion, you know, built these shipyards, built these Ketrosol White facilities, all this kind of stuff. And probably under the, the sort of assumption that they wouldn't be needed for much longer. Yeah. And so now- Or the just worm- a closer resupply or whatever, yeah. Yeah, and so like the wormhole is closed to them. Now the stuff is being destroyed. So eventually this is going to become a problem for them. It's also probably exacerbating the Cardassian and, and Dominion tensions yeah. as well. Well, we definitely see the the founder who does not care, who says she does not care about the war and leaves it to the Vorta, is very upset that the minefield is not- you know, well, I don't. I mean, well, no, she didn't say she didn't care. Well, she said we leave that up to the Vorta. That that is fair. We leave that up to the Vorta. But this be the the fact that the founder specifically mentions it again suggests just how important this minefield is to disable. Oh, yeah. Which, which we know again they wouldn't have put it up there. But well, so let's let's talk about her then. Um, yeah. I mean, she's obviously being a snake. Oh yeah. I mean, my question at the beginning of the episode because she. I mean, there's all these questions that her very presence, you know, and how she says, I wanted to see you. I needed another, you know, of my of my kind here. So that number one, obviously, a lot of it was she's specifically there to turn out because yeah. that's, you know, she does want to check up on Dukat and Wayun. But I also do they always compete like that? Oh, it does kind of feel like when when Odo and the female changeling are are in a room together, they kind of feel like the the parents. Yeah, in a weird way. Well, <laughs> um, and yet I wonder. There are some implications that where are the other changelings in the Alpha Quadrant right now? Because she can't be. She and Odo are not the only changelings. I know that. Obviously, some of them would Oh, be, she's obviously lying. Yeah, some of them would be too difficult for her or not feasible to get too fine, but you know. Yeah, I mean she is using Yes. She is she is using Odo's um naivete. Naivete. She is using Odo's need to connect in a, in a in a fundamental way. And, you know, let's not forget that Odo is someone who has not uh, seen any of his people yeah. since what the beginning, since the end of the fourth season when they essentially turned him human. So, and now he's not. And of uh, course- let's talk a very side note for a second, because uh, there is this theory that the his turning into human was a temporary punishment and that they sent the baby. Well, there is that one line, we've forgiven you, which... Definitely goes with that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you could interpret it that way. Certainly. Yeah, it, it, you it, it, you could also interpret it as well. The Dominion never wants to look bad, so no. they go. Ah, eh, you know, we'll be the bigger people here, and we'll let you go. And she's also trying to convince him that she means no harm. Yes, there's a lot of, but certainly that. Well, goes. I I think yeah, certainly. But I think that you know, the female changeling is 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 an interesting character because. Especially in this episode, I definitely think that she is being a little bit of, of a snake. Hmm. But I also do think that she actually does care about Odo. Like, I get the impression that she doesn't care about the entire Alpha Quadrant as much as she cares about bringing this one change yeah. home. It's a very dark version of the prodigal son in this. You know, she just wants... She is very... Again, you say the parents... She is at once his mother and and his sibling and his lover in in this episode, which, given that the changelings are a gigantic gelatinous mass that doesn't really exactly have a gender that that makes sense that the lines are so blurred between them. But yeah, I, I think there is a genuine feeling that Odo has gone wrong, and she just wants to bring him back to the fold because that's right. They are they do miss him. She is part of him. Uh, he is part of her of herself, and they are all part of the same thing. And without Odo, it's not complete. Yeah, yeah. Because I think that it really does. It does. I, I agree with you, and I think that it does come down to the. I think the real ambiguity of the situation, which is what Deep Space Nine is so good at, which is that you know the female changeling probably does feel cut off. She probably doesn't have as much access yeah. to the Great Link, she, well, any access to the Great Link, but she is able to link. Uh, so she's feeling cut off. She's feeling isolated. 
you know, she probably doesn't really have much to do. Mm-hmm. You know, it sounds like the Vord and the Jem'Hadar just handle all their war stuff. And, you know, because essentially if you if you take the, the, the founders at their word back from when we first discovered that they existed three seasons ago, where they essentially developed this entire fascist organization to protect themselves and they don't really care about it, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they only care about the Dominion in as much as it, exists and operates well jemhadar is a tool not a bunch of people right they don't they don't care about them i mean they just want them to exist so that they are protected and they are insulated from Mm -hmm. from their enemies essentially and that they are safe so it is an element of which you look at it and you say the female changeling has all these conflicting emotions is connect, is disconnected cannot go back to the great link you know doesn't have as much access to to her culture and her her society as as, as other people do so she is going to odo and out of a genuine need mm-hmm. but also of course well it's nice that is, all of her motivations dovetail isn't well it? yeah exactly <laughs> yeah because odo is odo's motivations are much less clear and much more clear at the same time, hmm. right? Yeah. I mean, you get the sense in this episode that Kira and Odo have become close again because they're essentially in this resistance. They are having to rely on each other because there's really no one else for them to rely on except for, you know, Rom and Jade yeah. and, and Quark to some degree. And, uh, you know... It, 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 Great drunk Quark scene. <laughs> yes. How he finally admits he likes selling root beer. The, they have taken that metaphor so many places. It's great, isn't it? But but the shoe is essentially on the other foot in Kira's case in this episode, right? Like yeah. because she has always been the one who has been sort of reticent about mm. about Odo. I mean, they're friends, but in this episode, she is kind of having the opposite effect. You know, she is Odo is now not interested in her at all. Is completely disconnected from her. And she is angry, and she is upset. Well, she's betrayed. He has essentially betrayed the resistance. And, I mean, she says you've sold – She he's sold out the entire Alpha Quadrant from her view. Yes, there is the personal – I mean, I I don't know which is more horrifying for her, the personal betrayal or the, you know, galactic betrayal, frankly. But it, but he's a, he's a traitor to her at this point. Yeah, because again, I mean, this episode structurally at least does a very good job of of, you know, heightening the stakes as much as possible. Yeah. You know, Odo linking with the female changeling when it first starts to happen, you know, my reaction is always like, okay, this can't be great, right? Oh, like, yeah. This is not a good thing. And, and he's uh, my first thing was it, is it wise for, frankly, either of them to link with each other? Because both of them have plenty of secrets that they don't want to. And that's the very first thing that Kira asks. And he's saying, oh, well, maybe I could get them to understand our point of view if we... And, of course, the exact opposite happens. Yeah, but I think... Yeah, I agree with you, but to a very real degree, just to go back to that for a second, I think that... that Odo and the, the female changeling certainly doesn't really care about any of this. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think that she thinks that once Odo starts to become involved with the, the changeling culture and the changeling society and their, their biology as much as possible, he's not really going to care well, about it yeah, either. This and he is, doesn't seem to. At the very end, he's talking about this like we would talk about stuff that happened to us in middle school. Like, yes, at one point it was extremely important, but we've grown up. We're doing, you know, we have jobs and lives and like real shit going on. For Odo, the changeling is the real shit. And DS9, the Alpha Quadrant, Kira, who gives a fuck? Who you know, cares? they're there. That's nothing compared to the Dominion. And, and there always has been that element to Odo, though. Yes. You know, he always is a little bit removed from everyone, he is a little bit haughty. And I don't think it's outside of his character to go into this really because let's not forget, too, that he is isolated as well. Yeah. You know, he he got his security forces back, but he also has to spend all his days sitting around a table with Wayun and Gold Ducat. And, you know, Kira and he are getting closer and closer, but he's still not with Kira in the way that he wants to be. Well, there is a very interest that is a uh, well, this is a very direct switch from Kira a couple episodes ago. So it's ago when she's talking to the Vedic and she's saying we have to be, you know, slower about this. We can't just – Kira calls Odo out. Kira yells at Odo for doing the same exact thing in this episode and she yeah. says you're on the council too much. You're seeing this and you're getting a little – you know, she – I think she accuses him of actually doing his job on the council. Um, But 
Yeah, and and she's very much back in the resistance, and I guess she kind of figured that Odo in the resistance would feel the same way, but has gotten sidetracked. Yeah, yeah, no, I think so. And and also, I mean, it seems at the end of the episode that you know Demar comes up with this way to to yeah. take down the wormhole. And they come up with this, you know, not very elaborate plan, but it is a plan that relies on some timing. It relies, it, it, it relies on three people doing their jobs and only two people do it. And one of them gets very caught for it. And, oh, this is the second time that Rom has been arrested for... That is true. <laughs> um, and also, I don't know how bad this is because, as you said, you don't. we don't know how much the Dominion knows about the Resistance. They may know just much about it but she talks about the resistance with the female changeling in the next room yeah that's not good it may be good it may not be good i mean it's not good but it is one of those things that it would be a very different i would have a very different reaction to it if it was golden caught in the next room of course of course you know, because she doesn't seem to care that much well i guess they, they figure they there is going to be some token resistance and yes it makes complete is, sense it would be kira there is going to be some token resistance it makes sense that it's kira and at the end of the day, the changelings seem to operate on sort of a, a you know, galactic time scale. It's true. You know, they, eh, this happens, that happens, who cares? The changelings, for all they care, could just, all right, the wormhole's not working, all right, go the long way. Make a generation ship if it takes you 70 yeah, years to blow it up, you know, that's what you're doing because we're the Dominion. Right, yeah, I think that's a great point. And maybe they probably do have a bunch of fleets who are going the normal way. I think you just uh, when 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 Star Trek Discovery does well and they decide to do a twenty fifth uh, uh, century show as another as the seventh spinoff. Okay, that's what it'll be. Okay, it's a hundred years later, and suddenly here's the Dominion fleet. Oh my God! It's like the people in Japan who were in the caves and didn't know that World War Two ended. Yeah, and they had to be reintegrated into society. Yeah. Aww. Well, let's talk about Cisco a little bit then, because, you know, Cisco doesn't have a lot to do in this episode, but... But that's the point of this episode. He, he doesn't have a lot to do. Yeah, he's he shunts it off to the side. Mm. You know, he has got a lot of conflicting feelings about that. Well, but I think from, number one, from the Admiral's point of view, he's not being shunted off to the side. He's being rewarded. I mean, this is a promotion. This is... And as far as we can see from the Admiral, he seems like a pretty good guy as far as all things are considered. He does seem... He's a great guy. Yeah, but... He's got a shiny belt. <laughs> no, I mean, he seems fine. It doesn't seem like he has any dark agendas or anything like that, but his... He's a little too... He makes a few too many assumptions about Cisco in this. You know, he doesn't even ask him if this is the kind of thing he wants to do. He just kind of requisitions him. Yes, it's it's a military-type organization. That thing happens, but... And it's wartime, so that... Yeah, but for such a... I mean, I don't know. You know, last week, uh, Cisco was taken off of active combat and put into the offices, and that's where they're doing, you know, and he yep. went on a mission or two, but I don't know if there's anything like... If there's another reason he's being, like, due to his emissariness, you know, maybe someone on Bejor requested he not be in the front line. I don't know. If it, or it's it's just Cisco's being noticed and— I think that's what it comes yeah, down to, yeah. This admiral—but again, this admiral at this point has taken a shine to uh, Cisco. He thinks he's a very good—you know, he's done so much in the past few years. Frankly, Cisco has grown as an officer and as a person so much that— as far as this admiral is concerned, yes, this Cisco is admiral material now, and put him in this position for a couple of years. This is going to be a place where he's going to be noticed by the right people, and he can write his ticket. Yeah, it doesn't seem to dawn on him that his ticket is he wants to be back on the Defiant. But I think that he really hasn't come come to terms yet with the fact that, and the admiral even says as much, mm-hmm. Admiral Ross, that. Um, you know, essentially, he can do a lot more good here than he could just being on one state on, on one ship. You know, he is essentially responsible for. I think he, they use the phrase like entire tactical wing or something. Yeah, and, but know, at the same time, someone like Kirk, for example, died when he was an admiral. Admiral, he it was he wanted to be back on a ship, and someone like Kirk would probably do a lot more a lot more good on the Enterprise than he would at a desk job just because he's more suited. And I think Cisco might be that kind of it's person. possible, yeah. On the Defiant in, in DS9, 
that's his element. You know, that's where he's going to be able to do where he's going to shine, where he's going to know where everything is, how to do everything in this kind of a thing where it's pushing paper and it's boring and it's stuff that he I mean, Cisco never liked the meeting dignitaries part of the job. Meeting dignitaries is probably yeah. a lot of this job. I, I will push it. I, I don't necessarily disagree with you. I think that Cisco is much more of a Kirk type than a Picard yeah. type. But I also want to you know push against the idea that um, this is the same universe or this is the same version of the Federation because you know Kirk's Federation and Kirk's Starfleet, you know one ship and one guy was really what stood between. Yes you know disaster in the federation and, and they weren't at war where they needed to coordinate large well that's what i'm yeah. getting at is like deep space nine is a different show deep mm-hmm. space nine is looking i mean even if it's very structure of having this large main ensemble and having all of these recurring characters deep space nine is very much a show about groups of people coming together to solve a problem and so just like a tactical wing yeah exactly yeah. i mean cisco is not going to do as much good as Kirk would because mm-hmm. this is not where they are, yes. essentially. And I think you see that in the nice, um, you know, the, the bookends of the episode where it starts out with that nice little ritual they've created with the phaser uh, uh, batteries. And then, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, Dax does the same thing at the end of the episode and Cisco and Ross quietly leave. And there's almost a worry on Cisco's part. I don't know how much this is expressed in the episode and how much of this is subtextual, but... A feeling that he's not you – know, the place isn't going to fall apart without him. The Defiant comes back from the mission, is just as successful, yep. has just as good morale and camaraderie without him. It wasn't just – he wasn't the glue holding it together. Someone like Dax can do it just as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's a difficult thing to see too. No, it is, and I think it, it makes sense for, for Cisco's character because he is someone that started to really come around to the idea yeah. of being – commander of deep space nine when he had some personal skin in the game well essentially. The, the issue with cisco is that maybe he has evolved in his capabilities a little faster than he was able to getting command of ds9 was was pushing him to a level he didn't want to be and you know he this is in a way sim, a similar type of assignment where he doesn't feel like he belongs here, but maybe mm-hmm. give him five years and yeah, that's true. That's I, very true. Again, I don't think that Cisco is on. Cisco is going to do a very good job at this, sure, but you don't think he will? I think he will. Oh, he will. Yeah, he's he's he's. It, it remains to be seen what degree this is Cisco being shunted to the side in a way that's going to make him wither as Kirk did, or if this is just him going back to his old high school years later and, you know, that was fun, but none of this has anything to do with me. I'm not a part of this anymore. Well, what that makes me think, and and maybe this is the last point I'll make before I wrap this episode up, is that, um, you know, there's this, there's a lot of visual uh, symmetry in this episode between uh, uh, Deep Space Nine and and Starbase, Starbase 358. And so, in a sense, what is happening is that Cisco has been shunted off to another space station. Yeah. But this is one which is much less, you know, in the thick of things, as it were. You know, Deep Space Nine is at the mouth of the wormhole. It's a very important position. The Bajoran people think that Cisco is the emissary. And now he's just, he's a bureaucrat in an office in the middle of nowhere. And he doesn't like that. Yeah. Even though he might be doing a very good job, he might be doing very important work, and I think he is. Well, that's uh, but again, he was Deep Space less... Nine. Now is a very important location, but at the beginning of the series, he was doing an administrative job just to get this into the Federation and oversee and make sure the station was running okay. Well, yeah, so... I mean, because to a very, I mean, to be very like, yeah, to be very. Um, um, crass well maybe not crass is the right word but you know literally crass about it cisco fucks pigs <laughs> no he doesn't um that you know they don't make tv shows about captain cisco being an admiral's assistant on starbase 358 yeah they make tv shows about commander cisco taking control of deep space nine discovering a wormhole to an unexplored area of space and becoming a religious figure to the people of Bajor. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, 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 And that's kind of where this is coming down to, I think. Yeah. So, well, I, again, I don't, and that's fair. He's not going to be on behind a desk for the next, but what we need is a wormhole above space station three, five, eight. Maybe they have that. (gasps) Well, next episode is called wormhole above station three. Now. Oh my God.
We'll tell you what the next episodes are in just a minute. But if you have thoughts about either of the episodes we just talked about, please leave a comment on the post for this episode of the podcast at truckaboutshow.com. Check out our other podcast, Tuning In at tuninginshow.com. We are releasing episode 10 about the Firefly episode War Stories in two days. More war. We also have a Patreon if you enjoy Truck About, Tuning In, or both, or neither. Give us money anyway, even if you don't like any of them. Although, why are you listening to this if you don't like them? If we get a $5,000 donation, we'll stop for one week. No. Yes, we will. Yes. Why am I saying no? (laughs) Yes, we will. Uh, Patreon.com. Not stop for good. Just one week. One week. Okay, fine. We'll use it to go to Vegas and we'll put it all in red. Because that's command. Patreon.com slash truckaboutshow is where you can go to see our tiers and give us a little bit of money and give us a little bit of monetary support if you feel so inclined. You can also check us out on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Our username is truckaboutshow. And as always, please leave us a positive iTunes review for Truckabout. It is the best way for new fans to find the show. Next week, we are going to be talking about the DS9's episodes. DS9's episodes? I have no idea. We've been talking for a long time. Yeah, several years. (laughs) Uh, Please, please give us that $5,000. We need a break. We need a thing of sepical and tea. Uh, we're going to be talking about Favor the Bold and Sacrifice of Angels. 